Welcome to Bulls Gold on Nothing But Net Radio, Pirate Dash Radio. I am Salim Sutterwala, and as always, I'm joined by Edward Shield Jr. Edward, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we were just talking about we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs. We have basically two games in the books right now, if you want to call the Toronto-Brooklyn game already. But the first game was really good, and uh, I'm excited to see uh, the other games. But uh, how, how are things going for you, Salim? Pretty well, pretty well. It was uh, obviously exciting last couple of days for the Bulls uh, when I had that news. Uh, Friday was funny for me. I woke up a little later on Friday, and Fridays are normally a later day for me. And I didn't really check my phone till like about nine forty-five. So I was uh, very shocked when I saw the Jim Boylan. Yeah, an early uh, morning, early morning firing is very, uh, very different from the past. I mean, usually we get it afternoon or maybe even on a holiday, but just bright and early. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's crazy. And, and uh, it, was, it wasn't even Woj that broke it. Like, I thought originally, like, because I saw Woj tweeting, like, because I have his alerts on, like everyone else does. And I guess the Bulls broke it first, like a minute before, and then Woj tweeted that, uh, mm-hmm. obviously, from them, their confirmation when they released the press. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, exciting. It was very exciting to see that. And then, obviously, uh looking at all the coaching candidates. But, you know, we're getting more into it. Obviously, we can talk about Boylan, and we also want to talk about a little about the draft, uh, especially with the lottery coming up in about uh, three days. And uh, joining us today is our guest who's been on our show a couple of times now. I think this might be like his fourth or fifth time. I can't remember the last count, but uh, Corey Tillaba of uh, Harvard Herald. Hey, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. How are you, man? I'm awesome, guys. Thank you for having me. You know, you guys were the first show that I ever uh... – you know, went on when I started uh, doing draft breakdowns and stuff. So I love coming on the show. I think this is like the fourth fourth time I'm, I've hopped on. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about all the news today. I feel like, you know, we got exciting stuff going on. Yeah, thanks for yeah. joining us, man. You're, you're oh, great so at what you do and we love having you on. Yeah, man, it's it's always fun. It's it's funny when you said you're you're the first one, and when uh, when you first joined us, I didn't know you were Corey from Real GM. I just thought like, oh, because I saw you on Twitter. Obviously, Edward had brought you up. It's like, oh, you do really good draft breakdowns. Like, yeah, let's have yeah, let's have him on. It's like, oh, you're from Tech Corey. Okay, yeah, it's funny. But you know, the other funny thing when I saw I saw your video because you were doing your podcast uh live you do your monday morning uh, or not monday morning your daily morning stuff and your reaction as you saw the alert of jim <laughs> boylan being fired it was pretty funny like well, g- walk us through that like what were your reactions right like right obviously we saw your reaction but like how surprised really were you i mean i was very surprised you know if you're to believe a lot of the the beat writers you know it it felt like Boylan maybe was going to get a shot to coach into next year a little bit, or if there was going to be a second bubble, maybe he was going to get a chance to coach through that, whatever the case was. So when I saw the news pop up on my phone and, you know, it's funny, you know, my buddy's a Knicks fan, you know, we live in New York. So he kind of hates when I talk about the bulls, he's, he always tells me I can, I work the bulls into uh, you know, all of my topics whenever I can. So when that popped up, I saw the look on his face where he was like, Oh great. Now we kind of have to talk about it. I was elated because, you know, I, I usually don't like to talk bad about coaches, but I truly felt horrible about having Jim Boylan on the sidelines for my favorite team. It was really depressing. So when I saw that it was like, you know, 
a, a great feeling coming over me. And I was like, this is gonna be a great start to the weekend. I, I was gonna, I was going away for the weekend. Um, and that was a great start to it. Yeah, it was, it was definitely different. Like we were just talking about before we started recording, it happened early in the morning. And I think deep down, a lot of Bulls fans felt that Jim Boylan was eventually going to get canned. Like, there's no way he was going to be the coach of his team long term. But with all the talk about him being Teflon Dawn and untouchable and there are bodies in the United Center and Jim Boylan knows where they're buried and all this, all these things that we've been seeing lately in the Chicago sometimes, I think a lot of people just started, eh, maybe there's a chance he could head into the regular season uh, next year as the head coach. But Arturis Karnishevis said, you know, hey, I got this. And it to me, when he took this job, I felt like there was zero chance that he took this job without saying, OK, I have a coach in mind or I know that I'm going to do a coaching search when I get this job. So it, to me, this is it's obviously a late elating news, but it, it just seemed like it was inevitable at some point, even though. It, they were pushing back on it a little bit from some of the articles that we've had lately. Yeah, it's uh, the, the the nervousness was definitely there, and I just thought it was more to do with ownership wanting, like I think you said, ownership wanting him back. And I think it was mostly Joe Colley that was pushing that kind of narrative and kind of scaring the fan base, uh, making us making us sweat bullets there and. You know, you you get rid of John Paxson and Gar Foreman. We're feeling pretty confident, feeling pretty happy because you bring in uh, Arturis Karnaschovas and and uh, he obviously hires Mark Eversley. And both of these guys are considered, you know, up and coming, really great people. You've heard what AK's done in Denver with uh, Jokic and having so much involved in, in that development of the young players and drafting some of these young players. And obviously with Eversley, his background in building relationship with players, his, his experience with Nike, uh, growing growing into that company, and the things they've done, we're all excited, and then, you know, we're bummed that, oh, my God, they're going to keep Jim Boylan and, and possibly punt on next season. And you're, you're just kind of hoping and praying, and then you feel a little just deflated about the whole situation. But, yeah, you know, I – as I was saying on Friday when I when I saw that alert, I, I saw I saw it a little later because I would think like I said it was announced I think eight o'clock in the morning and I start out my days a little later. I looked at my phone like at nine forty five ish or something like that and I saw my eyes just kind of popped open I'm like what he's fired what yes yes <laughs> I did like the Tiger Woods little uh, fist pump I was dancing I was happy. And, you know, that was just, yeah, it was like Corey said, it was the uh, start of a great weekend. Yeah, no doubt. And it's it, it, it's like you, you go back to the offseason, right? And if you would have told everyone that the Bulls are going to have an absolutely miserable season, but at the end, Foreman, Paxson, and Jim Boylan are going to be out, I think a lot of people would have just taken that. <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I wanted to see this team make the playoffs, but if it meant that all three of them are gone, at least at the end of that failure, I would take that 10 times out of 10. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, it's funny because 
you look back to all of the preseason talk, it's that the Bulls had the expectation to make the playoffs. Mm. And they, I still believe that they had the talent to do so. They, you know, Dad Young, Sadaransky, as veterans coming in, filling in holes, you, you expected Laurie and Wendell to take a step. You expected Zach to take a step, which, you know, I, I think that he did, um, even if it was smaller than we were hoping for based on the circumstance. And, uh, you know, it was just a, a, a group failure as far as development goes. And I honestly feel like if, if Pax and Foreman weren't so loyal to this guy, for whatever reason they were, like, who knows if, if we'd have even had AK, yeah. um, you know, like, so I agree with you. I think that the fact that we kind of clean house and we have this fresh start for the first time in what, since the Kirk Heinrich era started, mm. you know, in, what, 2003, yeah. 2004, sometime around there. Uh, I, I think it's a, uh, it's a really exciting time. Yeah. A couple of, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, oh, yeah. I was just, I was just going to add to that because it, it is surprising that when you're just thinking about how did the Bulls get to this point? Like, how did we get here where Jim Boylan was even being remotely thought of as some untouchable figure in a legendary organization in a big market? Jim Boylan, a guy who has been an assistant coach in the NBA for, what, 20 years? And he's had success as an assistant coach, don't get me wrong, but he, he never did anything to warrant the type of attachment that John Paxson and Gar Foreman and Jerry Reinsdorf had to him during these last uh, couple of years. And it's just weird to think about it because you remember, and it seems like oh so long ago, but you remember that at one point, this is how John Paxson and Gar Foreman felt about Fred Hoiberg. And when Jim Boylan was named his top assistant, it was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, Jim Boylan's fine. Like, I mean, he's, he's okay. He's been around a lot, so he could coach the defense up. But then Jim Boylan ended up surpassing Fred Hoiberg in value to the Bulls organization. It's just crazy to really think about. And now with both gone, we're at the point where the Bulls are about to perform their first head coaching search since 2010. Just think about how differently the league has changed since 2010. And the Bulls are about to have their first head coaching search since then. Yeah, it's 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 insane to think that that we're we're gonna be doing a proper, thorough uh, search as far as who to hire. And another takeaway I was thinking about too is we were maybe potentially wondering once Karnashovis uh, came in that how much how involved Paxson would be in decision making. Still, even obviously he was relegated to a, a senior advisor. And we were all kind of hoping that that was just kind of like a formality because Ryan Zorf doesn't really want to fa- fire his adopted son. Uh, he just wants to kind of move him into another role to save face for uh, John Paxson to save him in any embarrassment in that regards. And knowing that John Paxson loved Jim Boylan so much, and vouched for him, wanted him to be the head coach, and that Karnischewicz is able to just say, "No, nah, no, nah, man, we we can't keep you. We got to get rid of you." Uh, that maybe shows, you know, may, hey, Pax really is out of the picture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's very clear right now that 
Arturis Karnaschewicz has full autonomy, even though we were slightly questioning it a little bit, but it seems that he has clear control of basketball operations, and that's a great thing. And again, now we get back into really changing the way this team moves and thinks and how they interact with players and just really trying to rebrand this team to get back to the glory days, to get back to the success that this team used to have uh, once upon a time. And it's going to be interesting to see how Arturs Karnishevis can do this. It seems like he's really too cool for school right now at this point. He seems pretty relaxed. I mean, a lot of fans right now watching the playoffs are very encouraged by what they see with the Denver Nuggets and the role he played in assembling that roster. And with the draft lottery coming up in three days, it, it just gets the wheels spinning like what a new head coach can do with this roster, because based on what his comments were from today, it seems like he does want to give this group another chance to really prove themselves under a new coach. And I'm excited to see how we're going to perform. So, uh, Corey, what do you think? Do you who do you think right now makes sense for the Bulls to really bring in as a head coach now that they're taking the next step in this uh, rebuild under Arturis Karnishevis? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm a New York guy, so I'm, I'm, I think I'm on the Kenny Atkinson bandwagon. Um, I think that, you know, he's the kind of guy who can get a lot out of the roster that we have. You know, a lot of the guys that played on that Nets teams, you can kind of see similarities here and there with with the guys that we have. Um, and I almost feel like some of the guys are almost more talented than some of the the, the guys that he had in Brooklyn. And um, I think that uh, he's a guy who who does develop really well. And, and maybe he's an A to B guy and not a, you know, B to C. But right now, out of all the available candidates, he's – the one who I think has the strongest track record. Um, and I almost feel like I'm nervous about the assistant coach to head coach transition after it feels like that's what we've done for, for so long. And, you know, I, I almost want to just get a guy who we've seen have a little bit of success and, you know, we know can maybe take these guys from the spot they were in two years ago and, and, get back that developmental year that we missed out on this year. Yeah, that's a valid point as far as saying, you know, you're worried about the assistant coaching uh, people coming in and not knowing maybe how they will adjust to going from that head assistant to coaching because that's a big difference. Uh, You can't question someone's basketball IQ. Jim Boylan knows basketball. He's been coaching for 25-plus years in the NBA. And so he knew X's and O's, but it's more than this X's and O's when you become a head coach. So that that is valid. I will say though, like there's there's I do like the idea of of a lot of some of these newer guys that we, we're hearing a lot of good things about, like guys like Imnodoko, Idoka, uh, I think uh, that's how you pronounce his last name, and then there's Darvin Ham, who's gotten a lot of. Uh, positive feedback he's worked his way up to where he's at from he started i think in in, in, a, in a g league affiliate of uh san antonio i want to say and i'm not i'm not gonna bring up the popovich connection by any means but he worked his way up from you know from the bottom and he's the head assistant in uh milwaukee right now under budenholzer so i like him as well i like the thought of him i like becky hammond who we know 
is a high IQ player when they're playing professional playing days. Uh, I don't know if our listeners or if, if you guys have read the Player Tribune article by Paul Gasol. It's phenomenal. Just gives her a lot of credit, a lot of um, shows her tenacity and shows her the value she brings. So I like I like those names as well. And I'm just excited to see how thorough Kurnishevis really is because maybe this process that he did take in firing Boylan kind of could be a pointer as well to see that he's not going to just be reactionary. He's going to do his proper homework. And maybe I don't, I know some people are saying, well, this is a weird situation we're in because of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and maybe the firing would have happened quicker if it wasn't for that. But then there's also thought that maybe it was just always, he's just a guy that will, proofread his work like five times before he turns it in. And that's what he was doing. He was just getting every detail, knowing ownership was so backing and committed to Boylan that he wanted to get as much information and as much uh, uh, reason, if you will, to you know show them, hey, look, these are the reasons I need to get rid of Jim Boylan, and here you go. And maybe that's how he's always going to operate going forward. So that will be interesting, too, as far as, the whole process is concerned and learning uh, the different things Kurnishevis does. Yeah. He, he he definitely comes across as very meticulous and, again, very too cool for school, very calm and just very uh, assured of himself. And I, I like that in what we've seen of Arturis Kurnishevis so far. I, I do agree that in terms of coaching, and I, I can't pretend to know anything about the X's and O's that any of these assistants have, so I, I can't even center a, a conversation about that. But I, I will say that I agree that there's more to it than just that. And if we are looking at Arturis and Eversley, who have been big on player relationships and communication, and they really want to transform that and inject that into this Bulls organization to just reshape the image that a lot of people uh, view this team as. I, I look at someone like David Vanderpool of the Portland Trailblazers, who if you read up on him and the relationship that he's had with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, two players who uh, rose from mid-majors to become stars in the NBA, it's really, really encouraging. And when a player like Damian Lillard just talks endlessly about how instrumental Vanderpool was in terms of helping him become a leader and uh, just helping his development at the next level, it really speaks volumes. I mean, he made an Instagram post about it when Vanderpool uh, left for the associate head coaching job in Minnesota. McCullum talked about it as well. I think there are some other players like Pat Connaughton who have talked really uh, highly about Vanderpool. He seems like a guy that if you bring him in here as a head coach, he could really earn the trust of players, really get players to play for him and really carry over that uh, mantra of putting players first in this organization because that's what we've really been missing throughout this Bulls history is a coach that and an organization that really empower the player and can bring that side out of this team. And Vanderpool seems very intriguing in that regard. And I also agree with Corey that Kenny Atkinson, in terms of bringing in a coach with experience, it's it's very rare, as we know, that the Bulls bring in head coaches with experience. And Atkinson not only has experience, but he's very promising. He's very smart and 
he did a very good job developing that Brooklyn Nets team that we uh, saw over the last couple of years. So I'd be game with Atkinson. Darvin Ham as well sounds very intriguing. So uh, it, it seems like there's a lot of good options available at least, right? Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, I think all the guys and girls that have been mentioned are all people that if the notification popped up on my phone today, tomorrow, that that's who the Bulls hired, I would be stoked by all of these names. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, the league, just like the league's flush with talent player-wise, I feel like there's a lot of really young up-and-coming coaches um, available as well. And there's a lot of talent in that regard on, you know, a lot of really good benches. So any direction we go, I'm willing to to give it a chance and and see it out and see it through and see the struggles and the improvements and, you know, because I, I think regardless of uh, who we hire, there are going to be a lot of rough times in the beginning, just as we're growing, getting used to the system, getting back into playing. The Bulls are going to be one of the teams that haven't played in a significant amount of time, considering they didn't get invited to the bubble. Um, so I'm expecting to be them to be rusty, um, especially with all of the, the new stuff happening. But uh, I'm, I'm going to be excited by by whoever is the one who – is called upon to to take the job. Yeah, it will it'll be interesting for sure to see what direction they go to and another interesting part of this process of having a new GM uh, and and a, an executive VP will be how they attack the draft. And that's going to be a major, you know, the first the first ever draft is always really important in how you approach it and they're going to have a couple of, I think they're going to have their obviously, obviously we have their first round I think they have a second round pick this year as well that they can really dig, uh, dive deep into and looking at this draft granted it's one of the more weaker ones uh, in comparison to other drafts where you've had like talents like Luca, Zion, Za, um, even Trey, um, Trey Young those guys are considered, you know, potential superstars and guys that are can't miss. This draft, I think maybe the tier one guys are probably what like Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, um, Cole Anthony. Uh, I think some it depends on who you ask. Someone might include guys like Killian Hayes in that tier one. Um, maybe even guys like uh, Denny Avesia, uh one of the European uh, prospects that's kind of getting a little more hype down as, as we go along. When you look at this draft, Corey, what, what do you see really as far as the the overall talent? Do you think it's weak or do you think just what, do you think there's definitely a lot of potential and maybe there's more depth in this draft than people realize? There's a lot of potential. I don't think it's weak. I understand why people say it's weak because there is no Ja, there is no Zion, there's no Luka. Right, guys that you can look at and be like, these guys are going to absolutely be superstars. However, there's a, a lot of talent. And I think that there are players who are going to be available at the top of the draft who could be superstars. You know, I'm still in, and I said this uh, the last time we talked about this draft, right before everything shut down, I still have James Wiseman in that first tier. Um, Wiseman's not necessarily the best fit for the Bulls, considering. Wendell Carter uh, is somebody that I think the fan base believes in, but I think he's a guy that could be a superstar. He has a rare combination of incredible physical gifts and just 
I think that he has the basketball ability to go with it. And a lot of the things that people say are his weaknesses are kind of because people only had a few games of sample size to see. People are down on centers in general. But I think that he's a guy that there is a good chance that he does have that kind of Joel Embiid-like, um, you know, boom if he hits. So with him, with Edwards, Edwards is a guy that with the way that the NBA game is played right now, with the extra spacing and his off-the-bounce shot creation – He's a guy that you could envision being a 27, 28, 29, 30-point-per-game scorer. LaMelo, who, you know, honestly, I'm a little bit lower on than a lot of people. He's a guy that if he hit, he could be that, you know, Luca Trey Young combination that people envision him. Killian Hayes is a six foot five lefty point guard who's, you know, got that step-back, sidestep shot that James Harden has. Uh, well, at the same time, has it you know the the vision to to playmake and set teammates up. There are a lot of guys that if they pop, if they hit, you're looking at guys that are going to be you know all NBA type players. It's all going to come down to for a lot of these guys the situation they're in and how they develop. And and you know that's the how it goes for a lot of um, guys in the draft. But it's especially true in this draft. But there are a lot of guys at the back end and even in the second round that are going to you're going to look at years down the line and say, wow, but you know what? This draft was better than, you know, it was talked about. Man, Corey, you just gave me so many different thoughts on some <laughs> of these, on some of these uh, uh, prospects. And I, I'm curious, I, I kind of want you to elaborate a little bit more on Wiseman. And I, I do want to ask you about LaMelo Ball too. So in terms of Wiseman, and granted, I, I have not watched much of Wiseman, but I, I know I'm familiar with his, Uh, notoriety as a high school prospect at least but I I think the fear when that people have right now in terms of taking big men at the top of a draft is that if you draft a big and they're just a rim runner like they're just a Tristan Thompson or or someone like that then a lot of people feel like that's wasted value because you can get someone like that later in the draft you look at the Bulls own Daniel Gafford they got him with a second round pick and Daniel mm-hmm. Gafford can block shots, he can rebound, he, he can dunk. And is Wiseman, you mentioned that he could become a Joel Embiid type of player where he can step out, shoot, he can take you down low, just a, a complete offensive game. Is he, what, what flashes does he show to do that? And how confident are you that he can be more than just a rim runner? Well, I, I think that there's, you know, a, a much better shot that he's more than a rim runner than, than not. He, you just look at the way he moves. You know, I, I wrote an article for my site where I broke down his game versus Onyeka Okungwu, who was kind of the other hot center name in the draft. And Okungwu is the guy who kind of fits the profile of that Bam Adebayo player who you can envision in the short role, making passes, spacing the floor, even though, you know, he really didn't show all that much of those skills um, while also anchoring the defense, almost similarly to how Wendell does, right? But mm. I compared it to the Okafor-Dwight Howard draft, where Okafor had this college season where he's coming off an NCAA championship, you know, with Ben Gordon at UConn, had a monster season, looked like an absolute lock to be this dominant center for all these years. And don't get me wrong, Okafor was great when he was healthy and he had, you know, the, the injuries, which really threw him off. 
But Dwight Howard was that guy who just had the physical gifts that you cannot teach. And the physical gifts that he has, you aren't going to find really in the second round. You know, even with, let's say, Mitchell Robinson in New York, who you can envision kind of similarly, like Wiseman's just bigger than him. You know, like Mitchell Robinson's a little skinny. And I think Wiseman's game is so much easier to translate in a really positive way. He is, he's going to be able to shoot it, but not stretch it out to the three-point line. But it's not necessarily something that you need him to do. Because, you know, let's be honest, when we're watching Joel Embiid, how often do you really want him stretching the floor? He kind of does it out of necessity because Ben Simmons can't at this point. De- he is going to get so many offensive rebounds, draw so many fouls. He is going to protect the paint. He could switch out onto the perimeter and guard pick and rolls. There's, there's one possession, and you can watch it in, in my Wiseman breakdown, where he is guarding a pick and roll on the right wing, goes all the way, guards a pick and roll on the, on the left wing, and then makes a play at the rim. He is everywhere. He can move, the way he moves laterally is ridiculous. He's incredibly athletic. He's incredibly strong. And he's got like this little mid-post game with a nice l- touch. And he's a lefty, almost kind of like um, Chris Bosh. Maybe not as advanced as Chris Bosh, but he's got a little bit of Bosh offensively in his game. He's just way bigger. So I, I, I think that when we get to this point of the year in preparing for the draft, sometimes we forget that physical tools matter in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that has the physical tools and the skill. And I, I just personally, I can't see how he fails at that or is a guy that you could just be like, oh, I got the value, the same value in the second round. Because there are guys that you're not going to be able to get and you're not getting Embiid in the second round. And if, if that's what you envision him, and, and I could see him being a player like that, maybe not as advanced offensively, but in that same mold, you're not getting that, you know, late in the draft. Yeah. Do you, do you know, I don't know if it matters really, but do you know what he's been doing with that year off? Cause obviously he couldn't play college and then just the timing of it. He couldn't go overseas because of that. Yeah. Do you know what he's been doing at all? He's just been training with pro trainers. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, yeah. He's been training since he, he, you know, um, left Memphis. He's been, he's been in the gym training, working on his skills, you know, putting out the, the typical, you know, draft uh, or workout videos that you see from prospect players and whatnot. But, and even, even if you watch those and, and those videos obviously can be incredibly misleading, but guys that are his size, aren't supposed to move like this. They just aren't. And, you know, I, again, I, for the bulls, it's a really tough situation because, we have such a good center prospect. So when you look at value and does it make sense, does Wendell have that next level that he can get to? Like a lot of us think that he does. If you believe that it might not make sense just from a value perspective to take wise, uh, take Wiseman if he was available, but at a certain point, if he starts dropping, he's easily the best player available. And it's almost like you have to, you know, you, you kind of have to take him and figure things out later. So you have him that much higher than the next guy where it just, he's the guy, no matter like, well, he's, he's the number one. Sense. He's, I think he's the number one player on my board, which I know is like controversial. I, I think a lot of people either have Edwards or LaMelo and I have Edwards right below him. But I think that Wiseman, just from like, if I'm going through a board with no team needs involved, I have Wiseman number one still. Okay. Okay. So that brings me to this then. 
Yeah. So the the last time you were on here, you compared Lamelo Ball to a freestyle rapper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great comparison. And honestly, I think I'm ready to take a risk at this point. Yeah. I, I think I'm. Granted, I, I acknowledge the red flags, and I, I think they are extremely concerning. But when I look at Lamelo Ball, I, I see the potential. Like you said, if he hits. He is a big time difference maker because there are simply not that many guards in the NBA who have that court vision, that size and that ability to create for others while still being he's six, 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 seven, something like that. I don't I don't know. Yeah, he's like six, seven, maybe six, yeah. eight now. Yeah. And if his a, a lot of people seem to think that his shot, despite the bad percentages, is much better than it than it was was shown to be. So when you look at that type of potential in a guy that could probably get you eight, nine assists, maybe six or seven rebounds, maybe he's a, a 15, 16, 17 point per game score. I don't know, but it, it just seems like the upside is there because when you look at this team currently and granted, I like Zach, I like Kobe White, but neither of them are players that you look at and say, okay, go and create for Go go and get me seven, eight, or nine assists. Go and create for this guy. Go and play for pick and roll and hit your man like this. Like Lamelo just has really good court vision, and I I think given the hole in this roster, it seems like a risk that the Bulls can can really afford to take. What do you think? I mean, like I said, I'm a little bit lower on Lamelo. Mm. You know, and it's like I don't want to be. I want to be a part of the hype with him and he was the first video that I did back in, I believe February. He was the first guy from this class that I scouted and it had been a while. I had done a ton of other prospects and I was like, you know, I need to go back and I need to watch him again to see if I was wrong the first time. And I almost was more turned off the second time that I watched him. I agree with everything you said about a guy that height who can, make the passes that he can because he absolutely can make those passes better than almost any prospect in this draft. But I think the disconnect with LaMelo that I have versus a lot of other people is that a lot of people tend to think that LaMelo is this high IQ player because he's such a talented passer. And I actually don't think that he has a high basketball IQ. I think he just reads the game incredibly well, similar to how say, Jamal Crawford used to be able to make such quick reactions on a whim. And that's why I compared him to a freestyle rapper because he almost doesn't know what he's going to do with the ball until he does it. He doesn't break you down systematically like Luca does, like Chris Paul does. He's just able to use those physical gifts to, you know, he come off that pick and roll and be like, all right, I see some guy in the weak side corner and I'm going to make a one handed, you know, live dribble off the bounce. And it looks incredible. And he he's a such a good passer and he's not very turnover prone. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to come in and run an NBA offense the way that a lot of people expect him to, to do. Because like you said, you mentioned his shot. I'm not high on his shot. I think it needs to be completely reworked. Mm-hmm. Um, and his shot selection is just like, it's so bad and so frustrating that 
it's almost like you want to shut your TV off. And <laughs> as easily as he could be that Luca Trey Young combination, he could just as easily be Jason Williams, Jamal Crawford. And, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, is he a winning player? Is he a guy that I'm willing to give the keys to? Because you can't just be like, we're going to slowly bring him along and develop him. He's going to be a part of the team. No, he's going to be your, your engine. And if it, if it works, like you said, you're going to have a great player and, and that's where the risk comes. But to me, I just, I don't know if he's that guy that's going to be able to see the game, think the game. I mean, if you think Zach Levine is bad defensively and, and how he makes reactions as a team defender, I, I mean, LaMelo is, is worse. <laughs> you know, he's a kid who, you know, I don't think that he's ever had to play defense in a real way. And, you know, he really, really struggled with it, not only as a team defender, but as a man defender. And he gave good effort sometimes as a man defender, but there are other times he just let guys go by him. And if those physical gifts are there on offense, why are they not there on the defensive end? So there's just so many question marks with him for me that, you know, he's got to go to the perfect coach with the perfect team who's just willing to grow with him and, and not kill him in the media and, and all these things. It's going to be, it's going to be tough, tough for him. Cause you know, he doesn't really have a history of winning basketball as the guy, mm-hmm. whether that was in Lithuania or Australia. And when, when it's his team, things don't necessarily go great. Um, so I'm, I'm a little skeptical about LaMelo, but it does get to a point where, you know, once you start getting into that five range, six range that you're like, like you said, it's a risk that you kind of have to take. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it'll be interesting to see how the draft order works out right now. Obviously the bulls, unless they get very lucky, ironically are slated at that seventh spot again. And you, you mentioned probably LaMelo ball around there. Who else do you think are guys that you think will be there at seven and that you really like as far as being tier, maybe they're close to each other. Um, I know we've mentioned a couple of guys, other guys like Nico Mannion are there as well. Um, who, who do you, who, what are some of the guys that you rate at that seven spot for the bulls? Yeah. Especially for the bulls. You know, I, I love watching Devin Vassell play yes. basketball. He's a, a wing from Florida state. He's like six, seven, six, eight long rangy, I think that he is the absolute smartest team defender that I've ever watched at the college level. And you add to the physical gifts that he has. And I think that he is going to be a guy that is just going to be an all NBA defender um, at some point in his career. And offensively, you know, he was a 40% shooter from three, his freshman and sophomore year. So he's going to be a guy who's knocking down shots. He did show some signs this year of, of some shot creation, but he's not a guy that's really going to be breaking guys down off the dribble. He's more of a compliment um, to a guy like Kobe white to a guy like Zach, but he's just so smart. Um, and he plays a winning brand of basketball that you put him next to some, anybody on this team and he's going to excel. And he's almost like a modern version of Luol Deng in that way. You know, he he's except he stretches the floor better than Luol did, you know, just because that's how the game is played now. I love him around seven. I love Denny um, Avdia from from Maccabi Tel Aviv around seven. If he's there, another 
multifaceted wing who can kind of handle the rock a little bit, has improved his shot. You know, that was a big question mark because he struggled as a free throw shooter uh, and he struggled as a three point shooter. And he got better in both regards when uh, the Israeli league came back. And he's a guy who whose body looks like it developed a lot. And he's he's been winning overseas, playing in the Euro League at a young age. So I like him and I like I like uh, kind of a, a sleeper who, you know, I think that if there are workouts, is a guy who's really going to climb the charts in, in Kyra Lewis Jr., who's a, a point guard from uh, – oh, <laughs> sorry, he's from uh, Alabama. And he's very similar to Kobe in the fact that he's the fastest player in the draft. And – but he could – just like Kobe, he could knock down shots off the dribble. He's uh, He's got a little bit of shot creation in him. He makes these – you know, live dribble lefty passes coming off pick and rolls. And I think the way the game is played, I think he'd be really interesting there too. And and like I said, I think he's going to climb right now. He's, you know, kind of a late lottery kind of guy, but, but he's the kind of guy that once teams got him in a workout, he's, he's a guy who I think would blow people away with his skill level and physical gifts. And as a sophomore, he's younger than guys like Cole Anthony. He's one of the youngest guys in the draft. Um, so I like him a lot too. Th- those are kind of like, three guys that I would, I would really like in that range. I like those choices a lot. Uh, Devin Vassell, I, I think I watched him maybe a month ago or maybe two months ago. And I was just watching him thinking like, why is he not rated higher? Because as you mentioned, he's six, seven, he seems like a good athlete to me. And he has a motor. He's very aware defensively he rotates he can he gets up quick and to he can block a shot and he can hit yep. the three ball like he, he seems like a good three and d prototype that you would want to invest in and i, I know he's not going to like he's not like he, he's there's a lot of three and d players who come into the league you think of macau bridges players who aren't necessarily good off the dribble and can't break a man down and that's their flaw but I, I think Devin Vassell's the same way, but I think you could still take a chance on him because I I think there's flashes here and there where he does seem to get his own shot. So who knows? And in the meantime, you still get a three and D player. So I, I like him and Kyra Lewis. I agree with you. I think he's going to rise up a lot. And even though he, he does have a lot of similarities to Kobe White, again, you mentioned very fast. They can both uh, knock down the shot. Uh, I, I guess Kyra maybe be, might be more of a point, even though he's not really a pure point than Kobe. I don't know how that would work in the backcourt, but I mean, I'd be interested to see it as well. So who would you say, let me, let me get back to the other guy that you mentioned with Denny Avija, or I, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong so many times, but. Avdia. 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 Okay. Denny Avdia. I've, I've had a lot of people come at me on, on the YouTube comments and on how to pronounce it. <laughs> All right. So with, with Denny Avdia, what do you see in him that can lead him to really becoming an all-star type of player? Because he, he seems so interesting in terms of he's he's got good athletic. I think he's at least an above average athlete. His shot looked pretty good when uh, his league returned uh, back to play. And we see him make some really good reads out of a pick and roll. He can pass the ball. So he looks like a guy that could be a secondary uh, playmaker in your offense what do you see in him that leads you to believe that he can become an all-star type of player if you do believe that I think that he could be an all-star kind of player 
in the way that, you know, uh, Luol Deng was a, an all-star player where it's mm. like he makes it one, you know, once or twice. You know, I don't think he's a guy that is going to top out as a, you know, consistent, like third team, all NBA guy who makes a ton of all-star games and is a lock every year, unless he really develops his left hand. And if he, if he did that, then yeah, you're looking at, at a guy who's going to be a multi-time all-star, but right now his left hand is, is very weak. He, he really doesn't like using it all that much, but as you said, he can run a pick and roll kind of not as a primary ball handler, but as a secondary tertiary ball handler, he's going to be able to make really advanced reads in the pick and roll, rebound the ball, push the pace defensively. While he's not going to be the kind of defender that Devin Vassell is, he is a guy that's very smart, reads the game very well, rotates um, really well, plays team defense well, talks a lot, uh, just a really intelligent player and is a guy that, you know, if he continues to develop that shot, which I believe that he will, he's a really hard worker, confident guy. He's going to be a guy that is is really good value at at around where the Bulls, you know, are slated to be if he lasts that long because he does complement a lot of the the teams in this draft. And if you're as long as you're not expecting him to be a superstar player, and you put realistic expectations on his skill set and, and where you know he could really excel then you're you're going to get a solid player but you know if you're expecting him to be luka because he's kind of this ball handling um kid who who plays in the euro league you're going to be disappointed so if that's the expectation you have you you might want to temper it but if you're you're expecting him to just be a guy who's going to play the game the right way make your team better and uh do a lot of things on the court that that help your team win then you're getting a good player out of him what do you think his issues have been with his shooting? Is the mechanics that are just bad, or because you see he's, I think, well, he shot like sixty percent from the free throw line, and sometimes you can attribute that to mental uh, issues as well, mental mistakes that he maybe just kind of uh, the pressure is too much for him sometimes at the free throw line. But what what is, what is it? Do you see him ways that his mechanics are fine, or see that he's maybe worked on and is improving those mechanics if the mechanics are the problem. His mechanics definitely improved, but I was never really worried about his shooting. Uh, Even though he had bad percentages, I I think that, you know, like he's playing multi multiple roles when he's with the, the Israeli national team, he's more of a lead role where he's, he's doing a little bit more. And when he's playing in the Euro league, uh, a lot of times he's in more of a off ball role. So when he's playing, you know, with the Euro League team, he's not really getting to the line a ton. He's more of a, a cut back door, uh, come off movement, spot up kind of guy. And when he's a, in a primary role, he's more of an initiator. He attacks a little bit more, but he's not he's not really a high free throw guy to begin with. So to me, the free throw concerns are, you know, I, I'm not really worried about them, even though he did improve on them in the um, when the Israeli league returned and he did improve on his three point shooting, which again, I've never really been worried about because functionally his shot, there's nothing, you know, too wrong with it. Maybe you want to say he had a hunch in his, in his back, which he kind of straightened out. And now it's just about getting reps um, and and becoming more and more comfortable in in whatever role he's going to be in. So as as a shooter, it's not really a big concern for me. 
I think that he'll always be enough of a threat as a shooter that you have to guard him. Again, to me, his biggest thing and his biggest weakness is that his left hand is almost non-existent. And if he's going to be a guy that you trust with the ball in his hand, you're going to need him to improve on that because NBA defenses are going to be able to, you know, push him to that left and not allow him to continuously go right uh, the way that maybe he can in, in the Israeli league uh, like he did the last few months. What are your thoughts on Killian Hayes? Yeah, Killian's he he's really interesting too. And he actually has that same issue that Denny does, except he's a lefty mm-hmm. and he has a, a non-existent right hand. But he does have a lot of interesting skills um, that do make you perk up and say, oh, he's a pretty good NBA prospect because the NBA runs a ton of pick and roll. And you like guys, especially guards, who can create their own shot and use the you know that advanced footwork, the step backs, the side steps to get to their shot. Um, and at his size as a point guard, he's going to be hard to block. And he's also a good defender. Um, he gets in the passing lanes, really good anticipation. While he's not like a super athlete, uh, he moves pretty well laterally, and he's he's going to be st- a strong kid. He's got a good base, but he's. Uh, Another guy that, you know, if you're expecting him to be a piece of the team instead of, like, the guy on your team, then I I think that you're going to be happy with him because he does offer a lot in shooting off the dribble, running pick and rolls, finding teammates, being able to make the advanced reads where he hits guys in the weak side corner coming off the screen. But if you're expecting him to be, you know, De'Aaron Fox, James Harden, D'Angelo Russell, the the guys he gets compared at, especially out of the gate – I think that you'll be disappointed in, in him. Um, but you know, he, his games are hard to find, you know, you, you pretty much have to to pay for them um, to see them. So it, it's really just like YouTube highlights with him. If, if you're not watching the full game. So he, he looks really, really great in the highlights because he does have really great footwork getting into his shot and he does make really fancy passes and do really crafty stuff. So when you watch his full games, he's a little bit more underwhelming than, than his highlights lead you to believe, but you know, he's a good prospect. I think he's the kind of guy that in our range, I think Denver would, would have selected that kind of guy cause he is unselfish and he does do a lot of um, really interesting things that make your team better. But, you know, I wouldn't take him first or second overall, but, mm. but back in our range in that seven, eight, nine spot, wherever, you know, we land, he's, he's definitely a, a strong option for us. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially cause he can play with Zach or Kobe given his height. Yeah. I mean, that's where we're going to be seven, eight or nine. I mean, we're just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to ask you well, a guy that really coming into the, the, out of, out of high school, he was touted as being, you know, a, a potential star had a lot of hype uh, and, went to the NBL and hasn't gotten a lot of uh, conversation about him. People people haven't really been that high on him, and he's dropped really on rankings and a lot of draft boards. And I'm talking about RJ Hampton. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Is is he a guy that's very raw and he's like boom or bust? Or what, what, where, are you, where are you with him uh, as far as when you've done your reviews? Yeah, he's not a guy that – we should consider an hour range. He's lightning quick, like runs like a frigging gazelle out there. Um, but you know, he's, he's a really poor shooter. 
another poor shooter from the guard spot. He's stuck between being a point guard and a shooting guard, but you know, not in a good way that he can play both. It's kind of like, we don't know what position he is. He's not a jump out of the gym athlete on a basketball court, despite his plus speed in the open floor um, and in the half court. He's, you know, he's a guy that I think is going to be, end up being a change of pace guard either off the bench or playing off of, you know, a, a more solid lead guard initiator wing, whoever. The thing that I do like about him is that he's one of the few prospects that has played against NBA talent because his team uh, had a preseason game against uh, the uh, Oklahoma city thunder with Chris Paul and, and Shea. And he did a pretty good job defensively stayed with Chris Paul. Again, it's a preseason game and not even against an NBA team. So who knows how hard OKC was going, but he didn't necessarily look like he didn't belong, but I don't think that with all these other prospects that I've watched, I don't really have him in the top 10, top 12, even uh, of, of the guys that I've watched, just his physical gifts aren't enough to make up for the lack of skill and, and all of the time it's going to kind of take him to put it together. So let me, let me ask you this real quick and we'll, and then we'll wrap up. It, it feels like this draft is, and we've talked about this a, a few times before, but it feels like this draft is a type of one where it would not shock anyone if the best players are in the, the, the teens kind of like that yeah. Giannis draft where he goes 15, Gobert goes 27. It feels like it's that type of draft where it, it just would not be surprising if a stud just comes out of, of nowhere. Can you give me a player that you think is going to go in like the middle or late uh, uh, part of the first round that you think could really just absolutely just blow up out of nowhere? Yeah, I think you're looking at guys like Tyrese Maxey who – dropped because who were initially kind of put in that in that top range um but he didn't really shoot it too well at Kentucky but he was playing in a weird role for him where he was running off a lot of like floppy action coming off screens didn't run nearly enough pick and roll from my liking where I thought he was so good attacking the basket finished like 65 percent around the rim and is just like an absolute pit bull defender like gonna be a, a Kyle Lowry-esque defender so good um, and strong, just a just a bull. I love Tyrese Maxey, and I could definitely see him kind of once his shot comes back around because he was a really good shooter at previous um, you know levels of basketball. And you look at some of the guys that Kentucky have has produced the last couple of years in you know Tyler Hero and and SGA, where you see things that they're able to do at the NBA level that they they didn't necessarily show um, at Kentucky. So he's another guy that I could see doing that and kind of having that like, whoa, Donovan Mitchell came out of nowhere, like kind, kind of that same kind of um, experience if you draft him. I can also see a guy like Tyrell Terry out of Stanford who is mm. going to drop because of his body because he – I think he's like 160 pounds. Um, but he's one of the smartest players in the draft. He's one of the best shooters in the draft. And he does have a little bit of that, you know, Trey Young, Steph Curry stroke to him. 90% at the line, 40 plus 
from three. And I think that when he gets to the NBA, he's allowed to run more pick and roll because he he didn't really run a ton of pick and roll at Stanford, played a lot off ball. I think that that's another guy that you look at and be like, wow, the NBA game is really made for him. And despite his size, he was excellent around the rim. Super crafty, is able to bounce off guys. So I, I love Tyrell Terry. And then, you know, even a guy like Aaron Naismith, who shot 52% from three Man. this year, you know, not 42, 52%. Um, and can just really, really stroke it. And if he goes to a, a situation, like say he goes to New Orleans or something, and he's playing off of a guy like Zion, and you're just like, how did these, you know, how did teams let this guy slip? He's a, a ridiculous shooter, almost the same way that like Clay slipped because people thought that's all he could do. Um, but he's got a great body. You know, I, I think he's an underrated defender, just needs to to be coached up a little, little bit, but he tries, you know, contests at the rim, you know, works hard. So he's another guy that I think that can have that that same impact. And then I, I think Patrick Williams from Florida State as well, who's a little bit underdeveloped, but has a great, great body, defends well, is going to be able to play three and four, has a pretty good mid-range jumper. And it's just if he can extend that out to the three-point line, I think, you know, he's the type of kid that you look at and say like sky's the sky's the limit for him and kind of the same way that maybe you looked at like a Jalen Brown um who did put it together and you're just wondering if Patrick Williams can yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out especially in the next three days where hopefully we will get lucky a little bit but Corey thank you so much for joining us please you know let our audience know all the things that you're working on what you're doing and obviously where they can follow you yeah, I've uh, got a lot of stuff going on. You can follow me on Twitter at Hardwood Herald. Uh, you can visit my website for some writing, uh, hardwoodherald.com. I'm doing a daily morning NBA show um, every morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with uh, my buddy Larry. And we're just going over like all the playoff stuff, all the bubble happenings. And then uh, I got a new podcast uh, where I break down basketball films called Nothing But Netflix that you can find, you know, anywhere you can find podcasts. So a lot of stuff going on. Nice, right. nice, nice, nice. Edward, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, just interested to see where the Bulls land in the lottery. Uh, probably seven. Hey, it could be eight or nine, but it it feels like it, it feels like there might be just better luck in the air I don't know it feels like better times right now last year didn't feel didn't feel that way but with AK here Eversley uh we're gonna get a new coach it feels like we might get lucky this time I don't know I'm saying that and we still may get seven who knows it's just that's just the way the basketball gods work but we'll see how that how that goes and yeah thanks uh, to Corey again for uh joining us and check out uh, his podcast check out his website he does a lot of really great breakdowns on the draft they're really informative just really great to watch so yeah check that check all of that stuff out yeah, i appreciate yeah. you guys having me man yeah, yeah no doubt, of course man. it's always. always fun having you on and and you're always a, a very informative guest and do a lot of great videos i love sharing your videos too just because they're really great breakdowns of all the different players that you really you're probably one of the few guys that maybe actually watches a lot of films. So so yeah. it's it's really it's very informative. But yeah, that's a wrap for today's show. 
Uh, please give us a follow on Twitter at Bulls Gold. You can follow Edward at Edward Shula Jr. And at me, you can follow me at Edward. I'm not Edward, sorry. Jordan Dynasty. Uh, don't forget to tune in every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net radio station. In addition, if you haven't missed any previous shows, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. Also, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts and rate us a five on there to show us some love. Thank you again, Corey, for joining us today. And as always, for Edward Shula and myself, thank you to the listeners. Till next time, Bulls fans.